this time, those kindergarten under may go to their children's church. Just as a way of reminder, part of why we have such young ages with such old ages is not to test your patience, but to teach. So look and see who you're sitting around. That's your student this morning, and you're teaching them how to worship. Uh, we are operating under the fundamental belief that church is relationships. And uh, as such, we want to be a church that uh, isn't just old people, isn't it just young people, because the kingdom of God is both. And so trying to find ways to bring both together is not always easy. But it is done by how we have just done it and presenting it as about Christ. And he is the one that is the common denominator of our needs for us all, is Christ. And so, uh, church is a tricky thing, and in fact, it's probably a controversial thing. Uh, there are many who do not believe in church. Uh, we are uh, talking about the truth of, about church part two. So we're going to look at the same text as we did last Sunday, uh, looking at John chapter 21. Uh, but as we look at this, I want to just remind to you what our uh, belief statement is as a church. This is on our website. Uh, we have stated some time ago, a long time ago, uh, that this uh, belief statement is what matters to us. In fact, defines us, who we are, these things that we believe. And in that, uh, the second to the last sentence we believe that as Christians, we are commanded to use our God-ordained gifts to love one another, to support and build up the body of Christ, the local church. And so that is a statement that we believe. But if you ask the common person in Nightdale, do you believe in the local church? You might not get such a positive answer. In fact, you might hear quite the opposite. In fact, I've heard many, many times, I like Jesus, I believe in God, I just have a problem with the organized church. <laughs> I can get that, I understand that. Sometimes I have problems with the organized church. <laughs> Sometimes I am the problem <laughs> of the organized church. Uh, I understand that. But nonetheless, I want to present to you that I still believe in the church. There is truth about the church that I want to share with you. It was not my idea to start a church. It wasn't your idea to start a church. In fact, it was the idea of Christ himself to start a church. And there is certainly an ideal for the church, and what we want to talk about today is the ideal. The church as it ought to be, and it is our goal to become that who Christ wants us to be. And so, we have John 21. John chapter 21 is, is fascinating in that when you read the book of John, uh, you read chapter 20, and you think, you know, that's an awfully good ending, John. Uh, chapter 20, I, I, you know, and he kind of wraps up the point of the book. Uh, you see verse 30, 31. 
Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may live in his name, period. Kind of got the end to it. I've just accomplished the purpose of this book. But then, chapter 21 comes, and it's kind of like this, this epilogue, this little, let me add a little bit here to you. Uh, and so it has this feel of an epilogue, giving us what I believe to be a picture of what the church ought to be. Uh, it answers a few questions, not, not inclu- uh, least important is the fact of Peter. Uh, Peter, you remember as we read in, in John, and the Gospels, he's kind of left by the fireside. Here's our fireside tonight. Uh, and you'll see this scene tonight where he's just... I don't know you, Jesus. I, I don't know this one. And he just betrays him, denies him three times, and, and the cock crows. And this is a reminder of Jesus' prophecy, uh, what would happen. Even in Mark uh, chapter 14, Peter is saying to Jesus, after Jesus prophesied that he would be- deny him, Peter says, no, Jesus, that's not, you, you don't know me. I'm not like these other. Even if these all these others will leave you, I will not. Leave, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, "For the cock crows, you'll deny me three times." That's kind of how we leave Peter. And yet, John is written sometime after the Gospels. Uh, many people believe somewhere between uh, around sixty-five to even as late as ninety. Uh, one of the latter gospel, the last Gospels written. In that time frame, Peter had a significant role in the church. And so, John is, is bringing out, well, let me tell you how Peter got to be where he is. Let me tell you what Jesus did with him. And let me just share with you what our life was like a little bit after the resurrection. And it gives us a picture of how we're to operate still as a church. This is how it can be. And so, when John writes this, Peter has died. He has been killed on a cross. Um, That's what tradition tells us. And so a lot of the Christians are asking this question, how can it be that he, God allows these leaders to die and the Lord doesn't come back? And John's bringing out the point. Jesus said it was going to happen. And he's also letting them know it's going to happen to me too, guys. Uh, and so this was a major crisis in the church at that time when, when the leaders, those of the first generation, are going slowly away. And so he writes this, this chapter that's brought in with the book of John. And John 21, I'm going to ask that we, we stand as we read this together, this being God's word. John chapter 21. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing, and just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the night on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the, with the fish. And that was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at table close to him, and he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to them, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not die, but it is my, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You may be seated. So in presenting this to you last week, basically what I've done is just given to you the commands. What did Jesus command the disciples to do? And if you look at it, there's really just a few in this whole chapter. He told them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You see that in verse 6. It says in verse 12, come, have breakfast. And then you see repeated, verse 15, and then repeated several times, feed my lambs. And then saying to Peter, you will stretch out your hands and follow me. Again, verse 22, if it is my will that he remain until he come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so we see repeated several times, feed my lambs and follow me. And then just initially cast the net on the right side and then come and have breakfast. And so when we think about what the church is, it is very much a collection of people gathered for these purposes. Casting nets, having fellowship with Jesus, feeding the lambs, and following him. And so let's first look at this idea of casting the nets 
uh, as they're out there fishing, I share with you last week, I'm going to give you the same outline. I'm just going to flesh it out a little bit more uh, for you, give you more details I didn't have time last week. And so when we look at this casting the net on the right side, one of the things that we saw that when Jesus chose this interaction with them in Galilee, he was echoing one of the first encounters he had with some of these same men. Uh, we see this encounter, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And basically, Jesus was teaching. Uh, and after teaching, he was uh, getting into the boat. Because the crowds were so much, he was getting with disciples and continued on with them in the boat. And so Jesus, being in the boat, being with Peter, he tells them, hey, let's cast the net. And the, kind of the same type of thing happens. The, a few differences uh, uh, are there. But basically, the nets are just uh, swarming with fish. So much so that when they put them in the boat, it, the boats almost sink. Peter's reaction at that moment was realizing, this is someone different. We're going to learn that Peter has the same type of mindset many of us have. Constantly evaluating, seeing who's good, who's bad, who's true to themselves, who follows their, their moral code. And Peter has this moral code that he's got. And when he sees Jesus that is so much greater than him, his reaction is to get on his knees but instead of just saying worshiping God, he worships God and worships Jesus. And then he says, get away from me. I'm not worthy to be with you. And so that's the first encounter. And Jesus uses this to say, from this point on, you've been, you've been a fisher, been fishers. Now I'm going to make you fishers of men. So this is a metaphor that Jesus uses of bringing people into the kingdom of God. God. And so, when he has this other encounter, he's, he's echoing what he first did with them, and he's reminding them, guys, yeah, you're catching fish, you gotta eat, but I've resurrected, and I'm sending you out so that you can cast your nets and bring people to the kingdom of God. And so that's very much what the church is here for. The church is to constantly cast nets to bring people into the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of the church. And I think that's one of the things that our society has hit on, that we can get so green pines oriented, and we have our brand that we're kind of putting out, and people really aren't interested in a brand. They're not interested in green pines Baptist, but they are interested in the kingdom of God. And so we're to cast the nets and to introduce people to the king. We are finding more and more, one of the things that we, I learned in watching the surveys and doing some of the things and meeting in the community, it's amazing how many people wanted to be a part of activities we were doing to help others. If you're ever doing something like that, you helping in the food pantry, let me know. I want to be a part of that. You know what that is? They're seeking the kingdom, but they hadn't yet met the king. So when we as a church are operating, working with the kingdom, it's amazing how we're going to meet kingdom seekers. And so we're casting the nets. But it's not just introducing people to Jesus Christ. One of the things that a lot of us grew up with is we want to make sure that we have baptisms and we have confessions of faith, that we see people walking down the aisle, that they're praying a sinner's prayer. And we do want to see that. We look for next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to have a baptism service on Easter Sunday. It's a wonderful time to do that. But it's not just that. It is to say, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? In fact, Colossians uh, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 5 and 6, talks about what Jesus is doing. 
how God, we thank God because He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Delivering us, okay, now remember this net metaphor, delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of his son we are living in a different realm just like a fish comes out of the sea into a different realm we're saying let's cast our nets take people out of the realm of what they're used to into the realm of following jesus christ all right so what does that look like well in colossians chapter 3 he gives us some descriptions of what does that look like he talks about the qualities of living in Christ, talking about having a compassionate heart and kindness, and talks about having patience and bearing with one another. Isn't that something? And then he says, later on, he says, don't lie to one another. And it's about one another, letting the life of Christ work its way with one another. Let me just bring out something to you. Have you realized that many of the commands that Jesus has given us in the New Testament, you cannot do unless you're with one another. There are 33 commands in the New Testament that have literally the phrase, one another. John 13, verse 14, If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. Verse 34, You love one another as I have loved you, you also to love one another. 15.12, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Romans 1.12, that you mutually encourage by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Romans chapter 12, verse 5, we are to be members one of another, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own eyes. Romans 13.8, owe no one anything except to love each other. Romans 14, 13, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block and hindrance in the way of a brother. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. so my brothers, when you come together, eat, wait for one another. Care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, greet one another. Same again, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another. Galatians 5, verse 13. Let love, through love, serve one another, provoking one another, not envying one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. I haven't even done half of them. 33 different commands that specifically say one another. I remember going down to Key West about 20 years ago. And one of the things that's interesting there is they have this plant, a mangrove plant. Some of you may be familiar with this mangrove plant. What's unique about it is its root system. They quickly multiply these plants, and as they grow, God has designed these plants so that the root system are to be intertwined with one another. And they are so thickly intertwined that they serve as a natural filter to the ocean. And so all the debris... And trash that is in the ocean gets caught into these root system. And before long, because of the debris, because of 
of, of the, the trash that collects in this root system make, becomes in itself an ecosystem, a source for other plants. There have been whole islands that have formed because of this mangrove plant. My, my parents went back to the Florida Keys this past uh, a couple months ago, and they shared with me about some of the places that they went to that we remember 20 years ago. And see whole islands, little islands that have formed because of this root system. That's the church. That we are to have roots with one another that are intertwined so that we become something more than if we were by ourselves. A little mangrove by itself becomes nothing more than fish food. But intertwined with others, islands can start up. I've shared with you just the one another commands. There's 33 commands of others. But wait, another aspect that you don't get is something lost in some of our translation. Some of our, our English, we don't always have a, a plural form of you. Here in the South, we do. There you go. You got to know. I know who we're talking about. All right, you all. Maybe up north, you guys or something like that. Uh, but you all. Uh, is uh, kind of a, actually old English type uh, phrasing. Uh, it comes from, from that same idea. Well, you actually have that in the Greek, which is where, of course, our English is coming from, but it's not always translated. So what does that mean is that there are many commands that are referring to the you plural, but you may not get it because it just says you. For example, uh, in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 it has this uh, phrase where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Have you ever found that to be hard? It is hard. It is difficult. It is something that requires a, a different way of thinking. But one of the thoughts that we need to understand is that he's also speaking, You all rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How does that change when you understand it says, you all? There are some times in our life where we're struggling to some fine reason to rejoice. But you come across someone else, and they can share what God is doing. And rejoice in what the Lord is doing among us all. When you read in Philippians chapter 4, we talk about peace. It says, uh, Philippians chapter 4, I, let me just read portions of it. Verse 2, it says, I entreat Udia and entreat Sneteki to greet in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true command, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel to get together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. All right? Two ladies in the church, they're just not gelling. They're just not clicking. And so he says, look. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Help these two, but know the context of what he's talking about. Then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which is passing all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot of times we think about that, and I always think about that in the hospital. All right, Lord, let me thank God. Let me, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to work. And God, give me peace in my heart. Guard my heart. I think there is certainly an application of that. But what if the application 
was to Synetiki and Nydia and to the church. What if he's saying to the church, pray, let, don't be anxious, don't be worried about one another and the things of what each other is doing, but thank God for what he's going to do. Submit that to God. Let the peace of God guard the hearts and minds of the church through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see this again in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts to which you've been called together as one body. A lot of times when we think about peace, we read peace, we like to individualize that. Think, I want that. I want that. But what if Scripture is talking about the peace of the church? Uh, We've got some brothers and sisters. Steve. Kay, Josh, uh, they're going with Greg Zekman. Right now they're in uh, Nosu land, all right? We're, we're praying for them. That's where they're at today. One of the things that was interesting when I was there, and we see these churches uh, start, is we would share scripture with them, and then we'd let them figure it out. What does that mean? And they would decide what it means in their community, in their context. And they would flesh it out in a way that we couldn't flesh it out. In that, they're hitting on what the church is supposed to do. You see, a lot of times we read things like, do not commit adultery, it seems black and white. Okay, I get that. But then there's other commands like, don't be greedy. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 talks about that, of not being a lover of money. What does that look like? If I, just, if I was to ask each one of you, what does that look like? We might have a hundred different definitions of what that looks like, because we, it's subjective, like, well, you know, this is what it looks like for me. But what if we took this command that he writes in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. He's writing in plural form. Be content with what you all have. You all keep your life free from the love of money. You know what that implies? Maybe you all should talk about it. Maybe you all should discuss that and figure out, what does that mean? Because I'm going to assure you, that here in Nightdale, for us to talk about that is going to look different than what it looks like in Sichuan or in Africa or any other places. So when we read the scripture, you need to understand it's not enough for you to hear me talk. Because you're going to hear me talk and, you, and then you're going to individualize that. And that's good. You need to individualize that. But there also needs to be a discussion with people. What does that look like in Nightdale? What does it look like to be part of a church here? And so that's part of what we're talking about when we're casting in the nets, living in a different kingdom. You see, the idea is that this area, this church, is to be a different kingdom than Nightdale. So this is something that came up recently. Uh... They had the, this past weekend, the Easter egg hunt in Nightdale, the Nightdale station. 
uh, I think. They probably had a lot of people there. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, reading on the Facebook chats about it, you, you see some disgruntled people. Where's the source of disgruntlement? Well, someone had a special needs uh, family, and the special needs child didn't get any eggs. Nothing done to provide for the special needs child. And then there were others that had their two or three-year-old get trampled by the adults trying to get the eggs for their two-year-old. That seems totally normal, right? That, not a big surprise of something like that. But, but people are walking away from that thinking, ah, that's not what I want for my children. And so now here we are. We're about to have an Easter egg I got at Nightdale Station. What does that mean for the church? We're in the community, but we're to be a different community than Nightdale. We're to be an alternate kingdom. We're to be saying, hey, Nightdale, this is what it looks like when Jesus is king. How will that look like with an Easter egg hunt? Someone might question, well, we probably shouldn't have an Easter egg hunt. Besides all that, the relationships, the love, the compassion, the considering of one another that is commanded in Scripture. See, this is what we're casting our nets. And so the casting of our nets in Nightdale isn't just doing surveys. It isn't just sharing the gospel. It's living the gospel with a quick freedom to share the gospel. It goes both. And so Nightdale gets a touch of how we interact with one another. And so listen, I'm going to tell you, if you're just sitting here on Sunday morning and you're content just sitting here in a pew at 1030 or 1045 or 11 or whenever it might be that you're here and you think you've entered in church, I'm just going to humbly submit to you from Scripture, you've not yet entered into church. Church is relationship. It's not listening so a guy talk about scripture, and it's not singing some songs. All right, that's kind of like an, not much different from an elevator. And so it is a dependence on one another as we work together. All right, so just want to share that. And so how do we do that? Well, one of the things I looked at last week, and as we read this, we have Jesus saying, come, I want you to eat breakfast with me. And he has this little moment with Peter. It's a very significant moment with Peter. And you notice the setting here? It should strike some memories here. You know, Jesus sitting by the shore by the campfire. The charcoals are going. He's got some fish. He's already been eating away. And, and Peter's coming up all drenched, wet. And the other guys come drinking, uh, bringing up the boat and the nets. And, and they see Peter by Jesus on the campfire. When was the last campfire we seen? Well, Peter denying Jesus three times. So we got a new campfire. And Jesus is asking some questions. Peter, you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Pizza three times. Let Peter know the answer is not satisfactory. Peter part of the problem with Peter was pride remember Luke chapter 5 or Mark 14 rather Mark 14 he's saying Jesus you don't know me even if everyone falls I'm not going to fall 
I'll lay down my life for you. Interesting what Peter's last response is when Jesus asked him for the third time. Peter, do you like me? Do you love me? How does Peter respond for the third time? Father, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. He is no longer telling Jesus what to say and what to think. He's not telling Peter, Jesus, you don't know me. I'm not going to deny you. He's saying to Jesus, you know my heart. I'm not going to pretend like I know more than you. And so we, we learned last week of this failure that happens. And this failure is only there to provoke and to help Peter come to trust in Jesus even more. And so it's failed leaders that are installed in this church. Isn't that interesting? Failed leaders that are installed. But in this, how does this happen? Well, it happens because of the friendship of Jesus. The friendship of Jesus is the fuel for our church to be what he's called us to be in casting nets. I just kind of presented to you this wonderful, ideal utopia, a foreshadowing of heaven called the church. That's how it's supposed to be. Why isn't it that? The one secret that helps church become the ideal church, all right, here it is, guys. Here's your your strategy for church growth. It's how we can impact Nightdale. It's how we become more like Jesus wants us to be. Here it is. You ready? Write it down. Simple friendship. Friends. You have it. How can a church build the kingdom of God? Friends. What did Jesus do? When he was sitting with the disciples in the upper room, John 14 and 15, he says, I call you my friend. You're not my servant. You're my friend. I'm laying down my life for you. So friends, open up their life to others. And they're loyally committed. Loyally committed. Open up their life. Loyally committed. How did God become our friend? He laid himself bare through Jesus Christ. Have you considered how vulnerable God was on the cross? How can God be vulnerable? He's the creator of all things when he takes himself through Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and says, I give you my son. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily in Jesus Christ, and he gives him to us, and he lays him before us, and we take him, strip him, beat him, curse him, nail him to a cross as a cursed object on a tree with a crown of thorns and mockery. This is the king. The vulnerability of God in coming to us, revealing himself to us, and even in the midst of that saying, I choose you. And that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Knowing good and well who we are and who we would be, he died for us. And so we have friendship with God. He's vulnerable and he's committed to us. And so what does that mean for us? Well, how do you, how do you beat that when you've got the image of the invisible God through Jesus Christ? You've got the head of the body, the church, in Jesus. You've got the beginning of all things, the firstborn of the dead, the firstborn of creation, the greatest of all. You've got Jesus, and he says, I'll be your friend. I love you. One of the things I love about tonight and showing the promises is you get a glimpse of the magnificence of Jesus and how he impacted everybody. Just a small glimpse of that. And he says, I'll be your friend. I'll be there forever with you. I love you. And so who are we to go from that and say, well, you know, if only I could just have my wife, if I could just have my husband, life would be meaningful. If I could just have my children like me, then life would be meaningful. If I could just have some acceptance in this work group, if I could just get this promotion, if I could just have someone appreciate me at church. You see, the friendship drives us so that we can give to others, not try to get from someone. See, Peter up to this point was trying to get from Jesus. He was like a brown noser, you know? Just, hey, Jesus, I'm better than all these. They may fail you, but I'm not going to. At the end, Jesus asked Peter, you love me more than these? (laughs) It gives him an opportunity. Peter, are you different? Are you constantly judging to see if you're better than all the other disciples? Are you better than these? Jesus, you know all things. He's no longer trying to figure out how he fits in the social strata of the disciples' world. We do that, don't you? You know we do that, right? I remember being horrified when I was just, just 17, 18, and, and I was just trying to be cognizant of, aware of my thoughts, and, and I realized to my horror that every person that walked by me, every guy that walked by me, I was evaluating their dress, their hairstyle, their build, uh, their coolness factors, and trying to figure out how I placed among them. And I would choose friends accordingly. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Come on now. Are you any different? How do you choose your friends? So Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, don't don't make decisions how you used to according to friends. Who do you feed? The ones I give you. The ones I give you. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter how socially awkward they are. It doesn't matter their economic status. Feed my sheep. You see, church, we're to feed one another. We're to encourage one another. I'm not just the only one here doing this. We're to do this with one another. We're to pray for one another. Be kind, be gracious to one another. So that's why I say our church grows 
because of friendship. First, that you're a true friend with people here. And then you make true friends with people who are not in church, who are not believers. That is our call, to cast the nets. And we'll do activities and we'll do events, but I'm going to tell you, they're just platforms for you to build friendships. If we have all these activities, we do the Easter egg hunt, we have the promise, but we don't make friends, we're wasting everybody's time. Find someone, invite them to come tonight, but understand the power, the power of the kingdom of God is going to work through the word of God through your life as you befriend them. Befriend them. And so he says, feed my sheep. And then he says, Peter, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. Remember what Peter said? Uh, we look in Luke chapter 14. Peter, he says to Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. Uh, these others may fail, but I'm going to lay down my life for you. At the end, Jesus says, yeah, you will. You will. You're going to stretch out your hands and follow me. You're going to die like I did on the cross. How do we become friends with others? True friends. Well, you're going to learn to feast with Jesus. Be satisfied and your fellowship with them. You're going to learn to feed them as Jesus is feeding them. But then just follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. There's a real truth to some of this, what would Jesus do? To ask in your relationships, what would Jesus do? If we individually just did that, Nightdale would be impacted and so with this whole region, with a group this size, Jesus makes the difference. And so as we think about the truth about church, I want to present to you the ideal. We can be this community. We can be an alternate group. We can be those that will be friends with one another. We can be those who are casting that, following the mission of Jesus Christ. But we're going to have to learn how to feast with Jesus so we can get past ourselves. The greatest enemy to this church is not some president who remains unnamed to be, or she. That's not the great enemy to a church. The great enemy to the church is not some su Supreme Court justice or some decision. The greatest enemy to this church is your pride and my pride. It is the anti-social you get that? The truth about the church, it can be a foreshadow of heaven. Or it can be a hell. Depends on who rules. Is it Jesus or ourselves? 